Well, good morning, everyone. So for those of you who, who might not know who I am, uh, so let me introduce myself really quick. My name is Carson Petrie. Um, I'm a senior at J. Robinson High School, which is uh, right down the road here. And um, I've been an active participant in the youth group ever since my sixth grade year. Um, sorry about that. Okay. Um, I've been coming to Pitt since as long as I can remember. Um, you know, it's always been something that's been a big part of my life. Church has always been something that, that I've been glad to come to. It's never been, you know, a problem with me to, you know, come to church. You know, I love coming to worship uh, Christ and be able to spend time with a fellow body of believers. Um, so before I, before I get started with the message this morning, I, I, I know you're thinking, well, there's me and then there's two other guys here. Um, this is Parker Teal and Bryson Seeger. They're both seniors also in the youth group, and I'll, I'll let them uh, introduce themselves later on in the uh, message. But uh, we're going we're gonna to divide the message up into three parts this morning. When uh, Kevin um, asked us, you know, who wants, to, who wants to speak, we all three were interested. So um, we, we decided to split it up into three parts. So it's going to be a little bit different. So bear with us. It might get a little bit awkward between transitions and whatnot. It might be a little rocky, but, but we're definitely here to preach the word and just bring the word of God um, with conviction in our hearts. Um, so uh, next on my agenda here is to, uh, is to say, a, say a couple of things about our youth pastor, Mr. Kevin Knight over there, the bald man in the pink shirt. Uh, <laughs> Tough guys wear pink, right, Kevin? Amen. All right. Um, Kevin Knight, uh, this man truly has a heart for God. Um, everything that he's done, especially since I've been in the youth group, has definitely touched my life. Um, he's someone that, that has definitely has been called into the youth ministry, and he does a great job of it. I'm really blessed to have the relationship with him that I do. He's definitely someone that I look up to and that I hope that I will be able to keep in touch with uh, for, for the rest of my life. Um, without his teaching and discipleship, I probably wouldn't have the relationship with Christ that I do now. He's definitely guided me along uh, my walk with Christ and has uh, helped me to become the disciple that I am today. Um, but, of course... He couldn't do anything without his wife, Molly. Um, she's, she's definitely helped a lot through uh, the, the girls and the youth group. Uh, I'm sure they can tell you uh, all about how, how she's impacted uh, their lives. Um, and I definitely, definitely am thankful for her um, alongside Kevin because I know he definitely has needed someone there through a lot of times just to, to keep, him, keep him here on earth. So... So, Kevin and Molly, thank you for everything that you've done uh, through the youth group. Thank you uh, how you've impacted my life and the life of everyone else. And um, we are extremely thankful. Um, but they're the most important parts to this Youth Sunday. And, you know, Youth Sunday is uh, the one time of year where we really get to sit back and just say, you know, admire what God's doing through the younger generation of the church. And it really is amazing to see such a group, you know, like look at all those kids up there. I, everyone, you know, including us, we're, we're all just a bunch of kids who are just on fire for Christ. It's amazing to see what he's doing through, uh, through this ministry of the church, and it's been growing exponentially. And I've um, been extremely thankful for that uh, over the years. And I know I can speak for Kevin, too, um, on that. But, you know, we're, we're a youth ministry by name, but by identity we are people who have found hope, salvation, joy, forgiveness, and a future in Jesus Christ. Today I hope we, as the United Children of Christ, are, have been able to infect you with a sense of joy we have found in the relentless grace of God. Um, so uh, the, 
title of today's message is simply How to Soldier On Through the Storm. We'll be looking at 2 Timothy uh, chapters 2 and 3, um, and we're going to read verses 1 through 7. Um, but as you find your place in that, uh, I'm, I'm going to pray. So just lift up this uh, message to the Lord. Dear God, I'd just like to thank you um, for this time that we have now just to come and corporately worship as a body of believers. Uh, I'd just like to pray that, that you use my words and Parker's words and Bryson's words to, to exalt you, Lord, uh, to not let our opinions or our thoughts um, or our interpretations get in the way, but just let, let our words be the meditations of our hearts and let uh, everyone draw closer to you in this moment and just bless us and keep us safe throughout the rest of this week and bring us back safely tonight. And in your name, amen. So like I said, um, I'm Second Timothy chapter 2. And I'm going to be reading through verses 1 and seven, one through 7, so as you find your place. It says, You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, and trust of faithful men who have been able to teach others also. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It is the hard-working farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. So, to soldier on through the storm, you have to be a good soldier, first and foremost. And to give you some simple background on the books of First and Second Timothy, they're actually letters written by the Apostle Paul uh, to his young apprentice, Timothy. Um, and at the time when these letters were written, Paul was in jail in Rome um, for preaching the gospel. Persecution was definitely something uh, back in that time period where it was, it was as bad as it is now, if not worse. I mean, it's always been something that's been prevalent in society um, since, since the beginning of time. Um, but uh, Paul is, in, in this letter at least, he's really, he's really urging Timothy to, you know, press on like in his faith. And uh, to, he's passing on the baton, I guess you could say, to Timothy. And, and he's um, encouraging him to remain steadfast uh, in his faith. And so, you know, looking at this and thinking about the types of persecution um, that were going on in this time period, it wasn't, it's, it wasn't the same as it is today. You know, today we might get a, oh, you're a Christian, like, oh, you're a loser, like, I, who believes in God, like, that's, that's stupid. But no, back then, persecution was, you know, people were getting stoned, they were getting crucified on the cross for what they believed, and it was definitely a time where there was a lot of martyrs for uh, God's word, and I think it's important that we need to learn from them um, and understand Paul's suffering. So to be able to share the word of God effectively, we have to be bold and remain steadfast to guard the deposit of faith that Christ has entrusted to us. Acts 1.8 says, we will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon us, and we will be God's witnesses to the ends of the earth. Now the question is, what in the world can stop us from sharing the good news of eternal life when we have the power of God on us? And the answer to that is simply no. I know sometimes it might be daunting and the task might seem laborious, but it's something that, um, that God has called us to do and that he instructs us to do uh, through his word. So our sole purpose on this earth as Christians is to please the one who has sent us out uh, to make disciples. To illustrate this, Paul compares Christians to soldiers um, in verse 4, he says that no soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. And obviously in this situation, the one who is listening to us is Christ. Uh, we should have a single-minded desire to please God. Yes, there will be suffering. Jesus never said it would be easy. 
We're instructed in Matthew 16, 24 to take up our cross and follow him. A soldier knows that to be successful, he has to obey and adhere to the commands of his general, no matter what the cost. The soldier knows there are risks that come with the orders, but to please the one who enlisted him, he has to obey these orders as closely as he can. So what exactly does being a good soldier look like? The Bible says to be a good soldier, we must wage the good warfare and uphold faith with a good conscience. We are instructed to combat everything unrighteous that comes our way with the proof and sound biblical doctrine. The moment you began your Christian life by faith in Jesus Christ, you entered a lifelong battle whether you knew it or not. Um, and the battle here is uh, spiritual warfare. Um, ever since we, we accepted Christ and God started working in our lives, the devil also started working in our lives. Um, and it's important to be able to, to, to discern God's, God's will in our life and um, between the temptations of the world. Um, so Paul is talking about being a Christian, about living a Christ-like life in the, midst of danger, in the midst of dangerous pressures and countering forces. In other words, we're supposed to be realistic in a world of illusion, not to chase after the fantasies that the world falls for, and we're not supposed to allow ourselves to think wrongly about what is going on in society, but to get God's point of view. That's the most important thing in our situation, is to seek God first uh, through everything, and he, he'll give us the wisdom and uh, the knowledge that we need um, to, to uh, think about the, the battle that we are in. Um, in essence, our battle as good soldiers of Christ is to see things the way they are and to deal honestly, realistically, and openly with everything that comes. And trust me, it's not as easy as it sounds. I know someone looking from the outside in will be like, oh, that's fine, just follow these rules and you'll be all right. But no, there's, we all know as Christians there's definitely um, temptations and there's, there's worldly pleasures that we would um, like to take part in. Um, but we all know in the end that they lead to destruction. Um, so to be a good soldier, we must also uphold faith with good conscience. In other words, a good conscience is a synonym for an obedient heart which wants to do what God says is right. Uh, that's what Paul is talking about here. Where you know, Wherever God speaks, regardless of what your flesh or feelings say, obey, um, do what God says. It, it, sometimes, even though the easier route might make sense, it's, it's not going to be as beneficial in the end. Um, so it's important to, to take the high road, which in this case is being God's, um, God's word. Uh, a soldier is obedient to those in higher ranks that he, than he or she has. Whatever those above he or she says is what is right. A soldier might not agree, but inside he knows that he must obey. Christians need to live with reckless abandon, surrendering everything to God. And, you know, living with reckless abandon is definitely something that I've been challenged with over the uh, past couple weeks and months. Um, and it reminds me of actually this past weekend uh, we went to the Discipleship Now conference at Hickory Grove Baptist Church with our youth group. And uh, the theme of the weekend was Live Sent, which is basically, you know, talking about um, going out and just living your life for Christ and uh, saying, you know, offering your life as a living sacrifice and saying, here I am, God send me, um, and there's a lot of, a lot of good teaching and a lot of um, good knowledge that, that we were able to pick up from that, and I, I feel like it definitely put into perspective what exactly it meant, you know, to live sin and live with that sense of reckless abandon. Um, it's important that, that we do offer God our lives because he gave it to us in the first place, um, so it's only right for us to give it back. Um, so we must realize God's plan for his people from its inception to the end of time here on earth is to bring salvation through Jesus Christ with a clear conscience. We are walking testimonies for Christ. That's why we're called Christians. Christian literally means follower of Christ. So why don't we live up to our name? 
Our behavior has to be consistent with the gospel, or else the name of Christ is dragged through the mud, which quite frankly happens more often than it should. Um, People are constantly proclaiming the name of Christ, but they're living a life completely separate from the will of God. Uh, I think this is what gives Christians such a bad rap these days, um, because people will say, you know, I was baptized when I was young, you know, I I believe in Jesus, but, but, you know, they don't follow um, his commands, they don't live out that life that Christ calls for us to live. Um, and it's something that is definitely damaging to, to the church. And I challenge each and every one of you if, you, if you say that you have that personal relationship with Jesus Christ, you need to live it. You don't need to um, continue to live in a life of sin because Jesus forgives us. All we have to do is pray and ask for forgiveness from him, and he's faithful and just to forgive us of all unrighteousness. Um, so when you think of a soldier, the word dedicated should come to your mind. Soldiers are not easily distracted from their mission because of the intense training and conditioning they have undergone. As Christians, we should constantly be trained and conditioned by the Word of God. Like soldiers do PT every day, we should be strengthening our hearts and minds by studying the Bible every single day. The Bible is a Christian's form of physical training. It conditions our mind and heart and allows us to push through times of persecution and allows us to continue to shine a light for Christ. So, you know, looking at um, these, these couple of verses from Second Timothy chapter 2, um, it's important to understand, you know, what Paul's saying. He's talking, he's talking about you know, being that good soldier, and, and to, to be that soldier, you have to share the Word of God boldly um, with conviction in, in your heart, and you have to um, be able to uphold your faith with a good conscience, that faith that you've held on to ever since you were a child or that faith that you've held on to ever since last week. When, you know, whenever you've been saved, it's important to, to listen to God's Word and listen to... Um, his will for your life so you can uh, soldier on through this storm that's called persecution. So um, with that said, I'm going to pass it off to Parker here really quick, and he'll introduce himself. Um, Hello. I am uh, Parker Teal, as Carson just stated. Um, I'm also a senior at J.M. Robinson High School. Um, I'll be going to Clemson University next year, so go Tigers. Um, I've gone to Pitts for as long as I can remember. I grew up in the nursery and then in the children's program under uh, Miss Sandy Sales and uh, Jennifer Braley. Um, And then moving up to the youth group was definitely um, a big step in my life. I feel um, that under the leadership of Kevin, I've really grown a lot in my um, walk with the Lord. Um, Both he and Molly have been an extreme blessing to this church um, and to to the lives of all of us um, as a youth group and whole. Um, Kevin started a high school Bible study group that meets on uh, Thursday mornings about 6 o'clock at R&R Barbecue before school. Um, so we just finished a study in 2 Timothy, um, which is where we got a lot of the notes um, from today. Um, so um, I believe that um, this has tremendously helped me in having a day, uh, daily quiet time and um, being um, into the Word and stuff like that, and I just, I would um, recommend that anyone who isn't a part of one, that um, they find some accountability partners that um, would really just help them to grow closer to the Lord. Um, And finally, I'd like to say um, thank you to Kevin, uh, Molly, and all the other um, leaders that spend their time with us every week, um, leading us closer to the Lord. So, back to 2 Timothy. Um, The second point in um, how to be a soldier uh, how to soldier on through the storm is to be an approved worker of God. Um, and that comes out of uh, verses 14 through 25. So we're going to start in verse 
14. Um, Remind them of these things and charge them before God, not to quarrel about words, which does no good, but only ruins the hearers. Do your best to present yourself to to God as one approved, a worker who needs not to, who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. Um, So God calls us not to quarrel, for it does no good and ruins those who hear. Um, It gives Christians the bad rep that Carson was talking about um, when we are indeed called to be set apart as holy um, and different from non-believers. We aren't called to do the same things and uh, participate in the same activities as non-believers were to set an example for them. Um, which I'll go more in depth in in a couple minutes. Um, secondly, God wants our best. He doesn't want half-hearted effort. Um, we're called to be zealous and to zealously pursue God's approval by rightly handling his word, um, which we're to be engrossed in every day, um, reading it and living by it and being fastened to it. Um, God teaches Christians how to become an approved worker. Um, he tells us that we will be tested. Um, he never tempts us, but he does test us. Um, The devil flaunts temptation in front of us, um, trying to bring us further away from Christ. Um, But God is sovereign. Um, According to Ephesians 1.11, God works not just some things, but all things according to the counsel of his own will. Um, He allows things to happen to us so that we learn, um, and we can change our wrong behavior, and we learn to trust his judgment more. Um, Then Christ goes into talking about um, the effects of false teaching. So picking up in verse 16, um, but avoid irreverent babble, for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness, and their talk will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus, who have swerved from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already happened. They are, accepting, they are upsetting the faith of some. So false teaching is repulsive to God. It spreads quickly and sheds a bad light on Christianity. We were privileged to live in what is called the uh, Bible Belt, Um, But I believe that many people in this area have grown accustomed to the watered-down version of Christianity. Um, They begin to, like, doubt the existence of God or even just um, get fed up with the people who claim to be Christians and don't live by what the Bible teaches. Um, False teaching causes non-believers to get an inaccurate or a completely wrong view of Christianity and turns many people away. So watch what you say, because if you're a Christian and you claim to be one around your friends or family and you live, you don't live by the word, I mean, um, people are just going to start judging you and have, like, start judging Christianity as a whole. Um, that's not what we're called to do. We're to live by God's word and to be fastened to it. We as Christians do not live in a way that God, if we don't live in a way that God calls us to live, it upsets the faith of everyone, not just ourselves. Um, I've had trouble in the past, you know, saying negative comments to my brothers or family or other friends and stuff like that. And you can see how it causes um, um, battles between your friends and um, stuff like that. And it's a hard cycle to get out of. So um, watch how a, you can watch how a small comment just turns into a um, major um, catastrophe. Um, God's Word also gives us an example of how false teaching is harmful. Verses 17 and 18 show how the teaching of Hymenaeus and Philetus Um, upset others' faith. Um, However, if we are anchored to the Word like we were called to do, and we allow Christ to take control of our life, we can see an extreme change, um, an amazing makeover in our sin-filled life. Um, Verse 19 goes into saying, that but God's firm foundation stands bearing the seal. The Lord knows who are His, and let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. Um, 
This is a very reassuring thought. Um, God reveals his sovereignty, and people like Jimenez and Philetus may upset the faith, but God knows his children. Um, while this is true, many people claim to be Christians, um, and if you do, you have to depart from your iniquity and live a life for Christ. We can't claim to be something that we are not. Um, if I were to say that I played basketball for the Bulls with Michael Jordan a couple years ago, which many of y'all can probably guess that I didn't, um, as I wasn't even born when he came back from baseball, but um, <laughs> um, it could be easily confirmed whether or not I did play for the Bulls. Um, you could, I mean, maybe you could ask a Bulls fan or maybe the janitor um, at the United Center to see who, who played for the team, but the best way um, to figure that out would be to go straight to the coach. Um, the coach knows who plays for him, um, and in the same way, Christ knows who plays for his team. Um, he rightfully accepts us if we play for him, and he takes our lives and can transform it um, and becomes the Lord and Savior of our life. On the other hand, if we are not on his team, he, can stand, he can't even stand the sight of us because of our sin. But the best part, though, um, is that he accepts us just the way we are. We don't have to get everything right or straightened out before we come to Christ. Um, he meets us exactly where we are. Then we are able to pray to God and ask for forgiveness for our sins and iniquities. Um, going into verse 20 through 21. Now in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honorable use, some for dishonorable. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, and ready for every good work. Um, we as believers are the vessels of uh, gold and silver that Christ talks about, and we're not called to be the vessels of wood and clay, because they represent those um, of false teachers and people who don't believe. Um, if we cleanse ourselves from what is dishonorable, God says that we will be used honorably, set apart as holy, um, useful to him, and ready for every good work. When he states that we will be used honorably, he starts to reveal his perfect plan for our life. Um, like I said earlier, God knows who his children are. He has a plan for our life that's uh, specific to each and every one of us. Um, his word also says that we are set apart as holy. This shows um, how, we act different, how we are to act differently from non-believers. Um, we aren't called to be the same people as them. We aren't called to act in the same way or participate in the same activities as them. Um, set an example for them. Um, we're also um, ready for every good work. We're not called to do, or we are called to do good and strive to further the kingdom of God, not to tear it down with our profane lives and quarrelsome tongue. Um, in the next few verses, God gives instructions on how to live and how not to live, um, being fastened to the word. Um, verse 22 um, through 23 says, So flee passion passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies, as you know they brood quarrels. Um, this is what we're called not to do. So he says to flee youthful passions or sinful desires. Um, we're told to have nothing to do with foolish or ignorant controversies because they breed quarrels, um, which goes back to what I said earlier about how um, just bickering and quarrels can just cause um, major disagreements and um, they're detrimental to the faith, um, which then leads to what Christ does call us to do, um, 20, verses 24 through 26. Um, and the Lord's servant must, be, must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. 
God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. Um, Paul tells us here um, to avoid dealing with quarrelsome people in a quarrelsome way. Um, in other words, don't fight fire with fire. Um, we're to deal with them in a gentle and kind spirit, um, which goes back to setting an example for them um, and living as Christians as the Bible calls us to live. Um, it's also not by our power that people are saved, but through God's sovereignty. Um, a knowledge of the truth of God helps Christians to really grasp reality. Um, it also says that um, if we come to Christ, that we will come to our sins and escape the snare of the devil. Um, the world is enslaved to a sin. Um, that is, uh, it is only through the being captured by Jesus Christ that we are saved. Um, he is the only way to heaven, um, and after we accept him, our religious duty isn't over. We're still called to do, his, um, to do his will by proclaiming his name and making disciples of men. Um, so in closing, be an approved worker of the Lord. Know that you will be tested, but you are saved by a gracious and sovereign God who knows you by name. He knows who his children are, and he knows who are not. Leave your youthful passions in the past and focus on making God's name known. Thank you. So I'm going to give it over to Bryson. Hey, I hope you all are doing well. Um, I have a little disclaimer. As I probably know, most of you know where I come from and whose roof I live under. So uh, don't hold that against me, but I'll try to do, I'll try to do as best I can this morning. Um, I'll be talking to you out of 2 Timothy 3, uh, 1 through 7. And it says, But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty, for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not living good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure, rather than, rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. Avoid such people, for among them are those who creep into the households and capture weak women, burdened with sins, and led astray by various passions, always learning and never, and never able to arrive at the knowledge of truth. To soldier on through the storm, we must, lastly, be able to endure godlessness. As you heard the other two points, you may be thinking to yourself, it's so hard in this time and this day and age. What sins are listed here have we not, as a, as a people of this world, not committed? Everyone here today has committed one, if not, all, if not most. I have chosen three out of the list that seem to be most prevalent today. Everyone loves something in life, whether it's misplaced love or is in the right direction towards God. On the front side, it is safe to say any other, any other loves man could have will fall into the right place if we, if, we have, if we keep our first love in Jesus Christ. First, man tends to love himself. My generation has been the most technologically driven generation in history. We are constantly checking this feed or that one. We instantly become lovers of self, a.k.a. now the popular term coined by our generation as the selfie. Um, we are more than willing to show the world how mad we are, how our hair looks, or how bored we may be. Not saying social media is bad, but it makes one that much more susceptible to be distracted. Speaking to the older generation, how have you become lovers of self? I don't fully understand everything an adult goes through, and I'm not going to stand here and try to, to act like I do, but here's thing, some things that I have observed as a youth. Uh, the sports god. I know this may touch some of you more than others, but 
as from my perspective, some parents try to live their dreams through their kids. They take their kids out on the weekends, ignoring church and putting God on the back burner by putting them in sports. I'll be the first to say that I would love to jump into a game of basketball or baseball or football or whatever you name the sport, I'll love to play it. But that can't get in the way of our relationship with God. Secondly, it would be possessions. Many adults try to pursue possessions through getting the new promotion at their work so they can get a bigger house, upgrade their car, or uh, get the boat on the lake or whatever. Secondly, today, people are out of control. News feeds are riddled with breaking news stories of someone losing his cool or self-discipline. We see this through sexual temptation, alcohol or drugs, terrorism of many forms, and overall bad tempers. We as Christians are told to avoid such people. Adults and youth alike are on a level playing field when it comes to self-control. We struggle with different things, but the themes of these things are very, are very similar. The world we are called to be set apart from is overrun with traps that lure us into losing self-control. People want what they want, no matter the cost, which brings me to the third point of being a lover of money. We hear the phrase, money itself is not bad, but the love of it is. But, we do not, but, we don't, but don't we oftentimes get lost in the phrase at, at the first part of this phrase? As Americans chasing the American dream, so to speak, we tend to shut down after part one. We can't bear to listen to the latter part because of our ingrained desire for wealth. When a family from New York won the, when the Irish sweepstakes, they were happy. The dad was a steam fitter. The two sons were barely getting by, going to night school, and working on the docks. The family split the millions. They all said the money would not change their plans. A year later, the money was gone. It was bent. The boys weren't speaking to their dad and neither to each other. One son was pursuing expensive racehorses and the other expensive women. Within two years, all of them were in court trying to settle their, them having not paid their income taxes. It is, the devil, it is the devil's own money, the mom said. Both boys were studying hard to be alcoholics, and all these people prayed and hoped for was for sudden wealth. All their prayers were answered, and their, re- and their life was wrecked on a dollar sign. Boy, how the mom was right. If we aren't careful, money can become our security, our status, pursuit, and all in one our downfall. If your finances were put on the table to decide whether you were in every aspect of your life pursuing God, what would the statement read? I don't mean tithe. I mean how many things has money gotten you distracted from God or adds to the cause of Christ? I came across what I thought was a really good quote when researching for my part in today's sermon. It reads, I'll say this for adversity. People seem to be able to handle it. And that's for more than I can say for prosperity. Prosperity has even made its way into the gospel of all things. Many churches that many of my peers enjoy attending subscribe to this watered-down Christianity. Paul, over and over again, warns Timothy in this letter to be aware of false teachers. I must give credit to where credit is due to Kevin and I. As, um, on, on Thursday mornings, as Parker said, we meet for Bible study at 6 o'clock. Um, he always takes time to stop whatever we're doing, and if there's a part of 2 Timothy, which most of it deals with false teaching, he takes time to um, discuss what false teaching we can see today, and what maybe what may surfaced the past week on the news about um, a false teacher or something like that, but in doing so, he has prepared us well to be able to spot uh, false teachers from a mile away, as the saying goes. John Piper has an interesting opinion on the matter and how it affects missions. Many of these churches going on missions is a good thing, but the gospel that they proclaim is not. They proclaim it to, they take it over to Africa or to uh, more poverty, po- impoverished countries, and they say, hey, you know, uh, the gospel, if you just accept God and the gospel, then all your worries will go away. You'll be pulled out of this poverty, and you'll become like the Americans that we are. That's so conceited. They take this gospel, and they automatically accept it because they want to come out of their poverty. 
This is giving the false sense of hope and their eternal salvation, which is only found through Jesus Christ and his death on the cross and his resurrection. What does the love of money boil it down to? The first point I made is what it boils down to, the love of ourselves. Sitting in your pew, you may be thinking, man, I have a lot of nerve to get up here and stomp all over your feet like that, as we Baptists I could call it. But can I be so bold as to say that if I'm stomping on your toes, that maybe God's convicting you for your misplaced love in your life? In closing, the entire message from Carson to Parker, then to me, has centered around one thing that we desire in life. Do we have fleshly desires like I pointed out? Of course we do. We're humans. But God is ready and able to forgive and bring about a change in our lives. How are we to endure such godlessness from creeping into our own lives like so many times it does? By pulling through the temptations we face today, day to day, we become to become the most popular and famous. Soldiering on through the storm like a good worker approved by Christ is not a, is not a half-hearted decision like Parker said. If it is, you will fall into the traps that I just spoke of. By soldiering on like the good soldier of Christ that we should be, we will need endurance. But God deserves and wants nothing but our best effort to bring him glory and the praise after we endured. Thank you for bearing with us, this, us youth this morning. Our prayer is that this service was not about a bunch of youth who may have talent. I'll let you be the judge of that. But instead, that you saw Christ's power alive and well and working through our lives as we, and gives you some kind of hope for the next generations to come. Thank you.